Chapter Forty Two of the Life and Adventures of Nicholas Nickleby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Mill Nicholson. The Life and Adventures of Nicholas Nickleby by Charles Dickens. Chapter Forty Two. Illustrative of the convivial sentiment that the best of friends must sometimes part. The pavement of Snow Hill had been baking and frying all day in the heat, and the twain Saracens' heads, guarding the entrance to the hostelry, of whose name and sign they are the duplicate presentments, looked, or seemed in the eyes of jaded and footsore passers-by, to look more vicious than usual, after blistering and scorching in the sun, when, in one of the inn's smallest sitting-rooms, through whose open window there rose, in a palpable steam, wholesome exhalations from reeking coach-horses. The usual furniture of a tea-table was displayed in neat and inviting order, flanked by large joints of roast and boiled, a tongue, a pigeon-pie, a cold fowl, a tankard of ale, and other little matters of the like kind, which, in degenerate towns and cities, are generally understood to belong more particularly to solid lunches, stage-coach dinners, or unusually substantial breakfasts. Mr. John Brodie, with his hands in his pockets, hovered restlessly about these delicacies, stopping occasionally to whisk the flies out of the sugar-basin with his wife's pocket-handkerchief, or to dip a teaspoon in the milk-pot and carry it to his mouth, or to cut off a little knob of crust and a little corner of meat, and swallow them at two gulps, like a couple of pills. After every one of these flirtations with the eatables, he pulled out his watch, and declared, with an earnestness quite pathetic, that he couldn't undertake to hold out two minutes longer. "'Tilly,' said John to his lady, who was reclining half awake and half asleep upon a sofa. "'Well, John?' "'Well, John,' retorted her husband impatiently, "'dost thou feel hungry, lass?' "'Not very,' said Mrs. Brodie. "'Not very?' repeated John, raising his eyes to the ceiling. "'Here, say, not very. And us dining at three, and lunching off past three, that aggravates a man, instead of pacifying him, not very.' "'Here's a gentleman for you, sir,' said the waiter, looking in. "'A what, for me?' cried John, as though he thought it must be a letter, or a parcel. "'A gentleman, sir.' "'Stars and garthers, Jap!' said John. "'What dost thou come and say that for, in Wien? "'Are you at home, sir?' "'At home?' cried John. "'I wish I were. I had teed two hour ago. "'Why, I told to the chap to look sharp outside door, "'and tell un directly he come, that we were faint we hunger. "'In Wien. "'Aha! Thee hon, Mr. Nickleby! "'This is nigh to be the prudest dear my life, sir. "'Who be all ye? "'Ding, but I am glad of this!' "'Quite forgetting even his hunger "'in the heartiness of his salutation, "'John Brodie shook Nicholas by the hand again and again, "'slapping his palm with great violence between each shake "'to add warmth to the reception. "'Ah, there she be!' said John, observing the look which Nicholas directed towards his wife. "'There she be. We shan't quarrel about her, no, eh? Ecod, when I think of that. But thou wantst summer to eat. Fall to, mun, fall to, and for what we are about to receive. 
No doubt the grace was properly finished, but nothing more was heard, for John had already begun to play such a knife and fork that his speech was, for the time, gone. "'I shall take the usual license, Mr. Brodie,' said Nicholas, as he placed a chair for the bride. "'Tack whatever thou likest,' said John, "'and when I's gain, car for more.' Without stopping to explain, Nicholas kissing the blushing Mrs. Brodie, and handed her to her seat. "'I say,' said John, rather astounded for the moment, "'mark thyself quite at home, Willie.' "'You may depend upon that,' replied Nicholas, "'on one condition.' "'And what may that be?' asked John. "'That you make me a godfather to the very first time you have occasion for one.' "'Eh? Do you hear that?' cried John, laying down his knife and fork. "'Godfather! <laughs> Tilly! Here, tell un! A godfather! Divin't say a word more. You'll never beat that. Occasion for an a godfather! <laughs> never was man so tickled with a respectable old joke as John Brodie was with this. He chuckled, roared, half-suffocated himself by laughing large pieces of beef into his windpipe, roared again, persisted in eating at the same time, got red in the face and black in the forehead, coughed, cried, got better, went off again laughing inwardly, got worse, choked, had his back thumped, stamped about, frightened his wife, and at last recovered in a state of the last exhaustion, and with the water streaming from his eyes, but still faintly ejaculating, "'Godfather! A Godfather, Tilly!' in a tone bespeaking an exquisite relish of the sally, which no suffering could diminish. "'You remember the night of our first tea-drinking?' said Nicholas. "'Shall I e'er forget it, Mun?' replied John Brodie. "'He was a desperate fellow that night, though, was he not, Mrs. Brodie?' said Nicholas. "'Quite a monster!' "'If you had only heard him as we were going home, Mr. Nickleby, you'd have said so indeed,' returned the bride. "'I never was so frightened in all my life.' "'Come, come,' said John, with a broad grin, "'thou knowest better than that, Tilly.' "'So I was,' replied Mrs. Brodie. "'I almost made up my mind never to speak to you again.' "'Almost.' said John, with a broader grin than the last, almost made up her mind, and she were coaxing and coaxing and wheedling and wheedling, ah, the blessed wah. What dost thou let yon chap make up to thee for? says I. I didn't, John, says she, a squeegeing my arm. You didn't, says I. No, says she, a squeegeing of me again. Lord John, interposed his pretty wife, colouring very much. "'How can you talk such nonsense, as if I should have dreamt of such a thing?' "'I didn't know whether thou'd ever dreamt of it, though. I think that's like enough mind,' retorted John. "'But thou didst it.' "'You're a fickle, changeable weathercock, lass,' says I. "'Not fickle, John,' says she. "'Yes,' says I. "'Fickle, domned fickle.' Do not tell me thou be'nt, if the young chap at school me says, says I, 
Him, says she, quite screeching. Ah, him, says I. Why, John, says she. And she come a deal closer, and squeezed a deal harder than she did afore. Dost thou think it's natural, new no, that having such a proper mun as thou to keep company wi, I'd ever tack up wi such a little scanty whippersnapper as yon, she says. <laughs> <laughs> she said, whippersnapper. He God, I says, if the thought name the day, and let's have it our. <laughs> Nicholas laughed very heartily at this story, both on account of its telling against himself, and his being desirous to spare the blushes of Mrs. Brodie, whose protestations were drowned in peals of laughter from her husband. His good nature soon put her at ease and although she still denied the charge, she laughed so heartily at it that Nicholas had the satisfaction of feeling assured that in all essential respects it was strictly true. "'This is the second time,' said Nicholas, "'that we have ever taken a meal together, and only third I have ever seen you, and yet it really seems to me as if I were among old friends.' "'Weel,' observed the Yorkshireman, "'so I see.' "'And I am sure I do,' added his young wife. "'I have the best reason to be impressed with the feeling mind,' said Nicholas. "'For if it had not been for your kindness of heart, my good friend, "'when I had no right or reason to expect it, "'I know not what might have become of me, "'or what plight I should have been in by this time.' "'Talk about summited else,' replied John gruffly, "'and did not bother.' "'It must be a new song to the same tune, then,' said Nicholas, smiling. "'I told you in my letter that I deeply felt and admired your sympathy with that poor lad, whom you released the risk of involving yourself in trouble and difficulty. But I can never tell you how grateful he and I, and others whom you don't know, are to you for taking pity on him.' "'Ye God!' rejoined John Brodie, drawing up his chair, "'and I can never tell you who grateful some folks that we do know would be, likewise, if they knowed I'd attackin' pity on him.' "'Ah!' exclaimed Mrs. Brodie. "'What a state I was in that night!' "'Were they at all disposed to give you credit for assisting in the escape?' inquired Nicholas of John Brodie. "'Not a bit!' replied the Yorkshireman, extending his mouth from ear to ear. "'There I lay, snoog in schoolmeester's bed, long after it was dark, and nobody come nigh the place. Weel, thinks I, he's got a pretty good start, and if he be in room by noo, he never will be. So you may come as quick as you like, and find us ready. That is, you know, schoolmeester might come.' "'I understand,' said Nicholas. "'Presently,' resumed John, "'he did coom. "'I heard door shut doon stairs, "'and him a-walkin' up in the dark. "'Slow and steady,' I says to myself. "'Take your time, sir. "'No hurry. "'He cooms to the door, turns the key, "'turns the key when there wa'n't nothing to hold the lock, "'and cars out. "'Hello there!' "'Yes,' thinks I. "'You may do that again, "'and not whackin' anybody, sir.' "'Hello there,' he says, and then he stops. "'Thou'd better not aggravate me,' says schoolmeester, after a little time. "'I'll brack every boon in your body, Smike. 
he says, after another little time. Then all of a sudden he sings out for a light, and when it comes, he cawed such a hooly burly What's the matter? says I. He's gain, says he, stark mad with vengeance. Have you heard nought? He's, says I, I heard street door shut. No time at a go I heard a person run down there. Pointing to the wire. <laughs> help, he cries. I'll help you, says I. And off we set the wrong wire. <laughs> Did you go far? asked Nicholas. Far? replied John. I run him clean off his legs in quarter of an hour. "'to see old schoolmeester without his hat, "'skimming along up to his knees in mud and wather, "'tumbling over fences and rowling into ditches "'and bowling out like mad, "'we is one eye looking sharp out for the lad "'and his coat-tails flying out behind, "'and him spattered with mud all our face and all. <laughs> "'I thought I should have dropped doon "'and killed myself with laughing.' "'John laughed so heartily at the mere recollection.' that he communicated the contagion to both his hearers, and all three burst into peals of laughter, which were renewed again and again, until they could laugh no longer. "'He's a bad un, said John, wiping his eyes. "'A very bad un, is schoolmeester.' "'I can't bear the sight of him, John,' said his wife. "'Coom,' retorted John, "'that's tidy in you, that is.' If it warn't along o' you, we shouldn't know now to button. Thou knowed him first, till he didn't thou? I couldn't help knowing Fanny Squeers, John, returned his wife. She was an old playmate of mine, you know. Well, replied John, didn't I say so, lass? It's best to be neighbourly, and keep a bold acquaintance like, and what I say is, didn't quarrel if he can help it. "'Do not think so, Mr. Nickleby?' "'Certainly,' returned Nicholas. "'And you acted upon that principle when I met you on horseback on the road, after our memorable evening?' "'Surely,' said John, "'what I say I stick by.' "'And that's a fine thing to do, and manly, too,' said Nicholas. "'Though it's not exactly what we understand by coming Yorkshire over us in London.' "'Miss Squeers is stopping with you,' you said in your note. "'Yes,' replied John, "'till he's bridesmaid. "'And a queer bridesmaid she be, too. "'She won't be a bride in a hurry, I reckon.' "'For shame, John,' said Mrs. Brodie, "'with an acute perception of the joke, though, "'being a bride herself. "'The groom will be a blessed modern,' said John, "'his eyes twinkling at the idea. "'He'll be in luck, he will.' "'You see, Mr. Nickleby,' said his wife, that it was in consequence of her being here that John wrote to you and fixed to-night, because we thought that it wouldn't be pleasant for you to meet after what has passed. Unquestionably, you are quite right in that, said Nicholas, interrupting. Especially, observed Mrs. Browdie, looking very slyly, after what we know about past and gone love matters. We know indeed, said Nicholas, shaking his head. "'You behaved rather wickedly there, I suspect.' "'Of course she did,' 
said John Brody, passing his huge forefinger through one of his wife's pretty ringlets, and looking very proud of her. She were always a skittish, and full of tricks as a— Well, as a what? said his wife. As a woman, returned John. Ding! But I didn't know aught else that comes near it. You were speaking about Miss Squeers, said Nicholas with the view of stopping some slight connubialities which had begun to pass between Mr. and Mrs. Brodie, and which rendered the position of a third party in some degree embarrassing, as occasioning him to feel rather in the way than otherwise. "'Oh, yes,' rejoined Mrs. Brodie. "'John had done. John fixed to-night because she had settled that she would go and drink tea with her father.' and to make quite sure of there being nothing amiss and of your being quite alone with us he settled to go out there and fetch her home that was a very good arrangement said nicholas though i am sorry to be the occasion of so much trouble not the least in the world returned mrs brodie for we have looked forward to see you john and i have with the greatest possible pleasure do you know mr nickleby said Mrs. Brodie, with her archest smile, that I really think Fanny Squeers was very fond of you. "'I am very much obliged to her,' said Nicholas, "'but upon my word I never aspired to making any impression upon her virgin heart.' "'How you talk!' tittered Mrs. Brodie. "'No, but do you know that really, seriously now, and without any joking—' I was given to understand by Fanny herself that you had made an offer to her, and that you two were going to be engaged, quite solemn and regular. "'Was you, ma'am? Was you?' cried a shrill female voice. "'Was you given to understand that I was going to be engaged?' to an assassinating thief that shed the gore of my pa do you do you think ma'am that i was very fond of such dirt beneath my feet as i couldn't condescend to touch with kitchen tongs without blacking and crocking myself by the contract do you ma'am do you oh base and degrading tilda with these reproaches, Miss Squeers flung the door wide open, and disclosed to the eyes of the astonished Brodies and Nicholas not only her own symmetrical form, arrayed in the chaste white garments before described, a little dirtier, but the form of her brother and father, the pair of Wackfords. "'This is the hand, is it?' continued Miss Squeers, who, being excited, aspirated her H's strongly. "'This is the hand, is it, of all my forbearance and friendship for that double-faced thing, that viper, that—that—mermaid?' Miss Squeers hesitated a long time for this last epithet, and brought it out triumphantly as last, as if it quite clinched the business. "'This is the hand, is it, of all my bearing with her deceitfulness, her lowness, her falseness, her laying herself out to catch the admiration of vulgar minds, in a way which made me blush for my—for my—' "'Gender,' suggested Mr. Squeers, regarding the spectators with a malevolent eye, literally a malevolent eye. "'Yes!' said Miss Squeers, but I thank my stars that my ma is of the same 
"'Here, here,' remarked Mr. Squeers, "'and I wish you was here to have a scratch at this company.' "'This is the hand, is it?' said Miss Squeers, tossing her head and looking contemptuously at the floor, of my taking notice of that rubbishing creature, and demeaning myself to patronise her. "'Oh, come,' rejoined Mrs. Brodie, disregarding all the endeavours of her spouse to restrain her, and forcing herself into a front row. "'Don't talk such nonsense as that.' "'Have I not patronised you, ma'am?' demanded Miss Squeers. "'No,' returned Mrs. Brodie. "'I will not look for blushes in such a quarter,' said Miss Squeers haughtily, "'for that countenance is a stranger to everything but ignominiousness and red-faced boldness.' "'I see,' interposed John Brodie, nettled by these accumulated attacks on his wife. "'Draw it mild, draw it mild.' "'You, Mr. Brodie, said Miss Squeers, taking him up very quickly, "'I pity. I have no feeling for you, sir, but one of unliquidated pity.' "'Oh,' said John. "'No,' said Miss Squeers, looking sideways at her parent. "'Although I am a queer bridesmaid, and shan't be a bride in a hurry, and although my husband will be in luck, "'I entertain no sentiments towards you, sir, but sentiments of pity.' Here Miss Squeers looked sideways at her father again, who looked sideways at her, as much as to say, "'There you had him.' "'I know what you've got to go through,' said Miss Squeers, shaking her curls violently. "'I know what life is before you, and if you was my bitterest and deadliest enemy, I could wish you nothing worse.' "'Couldn't you wish to be married to him yourself, if that was the case?' inquired Mrs. Brodie, with great suavity of manner. "'Oh, ma'am, how witty you are!' retorted Miss Squeers, with a low curtsy. "'Almost as witty, ma'am, as you are clever. How very clever it was in you, ma'am, to choose a time when I had gone to tea with my pa, and was sure not to come back without being fetched.' "'What a pity you never thought that other people might be as clever as yourself, and spoil your plans!' "'You won't vex me, child, with such airs as these,' said the late Miss Price, assuming the matron. "'Don't misses me, ma'am, if you please,' returned Miss Squeers sharply. "'I'll not bear it. Is this the hend?' "'Dang it, ah!' cried John Brodie impatiently. "'Say thee say out, Fanny, and make sure it's the end, and do not ask nobody whether it is or not.' "'Thanking you for your advice, which was not required, Mr. Brodie,' returned Miss Squeers, with laborious politeness, "'have the goodness not to presume to meddle with my Christian name. Even my pity shall never make me forget what's due to myself, Mr. Brodie.' "'Tilda,' said Miss Squeers, with such a sudden accession of violence that John started in his boots, "'I throw you off for ever, miss. I abandon you. I renounce you. I wouldn't,' cried Miss Squeers, in a solemn voice, "'have a child named Tilda not to save it from its grave.' "'As for the matter of that,' 
observed John. "'It'll be time enough to think about naming of it when it comes.' "'John!' interposed his wife. "'Don't tease her.' "'Oh, tease indeed!' cried Miss Squeers, bridling up. "'Tease indeed! <laughs> tease, too! No, don't tease her! Consider her feelings, pray!' "'If it's fated that listeners are never to hear any good of themselves,' said Mrs. Brodie, "'I can't help it, and I'm very sorry for it. But I will say, Fanny, that times out of number I have spoken so kindly of you behind your back, that even you could have found no fault with what I said.' "'Oh, I dare say not, ma'am,' cried Miss Squeers, with another curtsy. "'Best thanks to you for your goodness, and begging and praying you not to be hard upon me another time.' "'I don't know,' resumed Mrs. Brodie, "'that I have said anything very bad of you even now. At all events, what I did say was quite true. But if I have, I'm very sorry for it, and I beg your pardon. You have said much worse of me, scores of times, Fanny, but I never borne any malice to you, and I hope you'll not bear any to me.' Miss Squeers made no more direct reply, and surveying her former friend from top to toe, and elevating her nose in the air with ineffable disdain. But some indistinct allusions to a puss, and a minx, and a contemptible creature escaped her, and this, together with a severe biting of the lips, great difficulty in swallowing, and very frequent comings and goings of breath, seemed to imply that feelings were swelling in Miss Squeers' bosom too great for utterance. While the foregoing conversation was proceeding, Master Wackford, finding himself unnoticed, and feeling his preponderating inclinations strong upon him, had by little and little sidled up to the table, and attacked the food, with such slight skirmishings as drawing his fingers round and round the inside of the plates, and afterwards sucking them with infinite relish, picking the bread, and dragging the pieces over the surface of the butter, pocketing lumps of sugar, pretending all the time to be absorbed in thought, and so forth. Finding that no interference was attempted with these small liberties, he gradually mounted to greater, and, after helping himself to a moderately good cold collation, was by this time deep in the pie. Nothing of this had been unobserved by Mr. Squeers, who, so long as the attention of the company was fixed upon other objects, hugged himself to think that his son and heir should be fattening at the enemy's expense. But there being now an appearance of a temporary calm, in which the proceedings of little Wackford could scarcely fail to be observed, he feigned to be aware of the circumstance for the first time, and inflicted upon the face of that young gentleman a slap that made the very teacups ring. "'Eating?' cried Mr. Squeers. "'Of what his father's enemies has left? It's fit to go and poison you, you unnatural boy.' "'It weren't hurt him.' said John, apparently very much relieved by the prospect of having a man in the quarrel. "'Let on eat. I wish the whole school was here. I'd give him summat to stay their unfortunate stomachs we, if I spent the last penny I had.' Squeer scowled at him with the worst and most malicious expression of which his face was capable. It was a face of remarkable capability, too, in that way, and shook his fist stealthily. "'Come, come, schoolmeester said John, "'do not make a fool thyself, for I was to shake mine only once, thou'd far doon with the window it.'—'It was you, was it?' returned Squeers, "'that helped off my runaway boy. It was you, was it?' 
"'Me?' returned John, in a loud tone. "'Yes, it war me. Coom, what I at? It war me. Knew then.' "'You hear him say he did it, my child,' said Squeers, appealing to his daughter. "'You hear him say he did it.' "'Did it?' cried John. "'I'll tell ye more. Hear this, too. If thou'd got another runaway boy, I'd do it again. If thou'd got twenty runaway boys, I'd do it twenty times hour and twenty more to that. And I tell thee more,' said John. "'No, my blood is oop, and thou'rt an old rascal, and that it's weel for thou, thou beest an old un, or I'd a pounded thee to flower when thou told an honest mun who thou'd licked that poor chap into courch. "'An honest man?' cried Squeers with a sneer. "'Ah, an honest man,' replied John. "'Honest in aught, but ever putting legs under seam table with such as thou.' "'Scandal!' said Squeers exultingly. Two witnesses to it.' "'Wackford knows the nature of an oath he does. "'We shall have you there, sir. "'Rascal, eh?' "'Mr. Squeers took out his pocket-book "'and made a note of it. "'Very good. "'I should say that was worth full twenty pound "'at the next assizes, without the honesty, sir.' "'Sizes!' cried John. "'Thou'd better not talk to me of sizes.' Yorkshire schools have been shown up at sizes of our Newman, and it's a ticklish subject to revive, I can tell ye. Mr. Squeers shook his head in a threatening manner, looking very white with passion, and taking his daughter's arm and dragging little Wackford by the hand, retreated towards the door. "'As for you,' said Squeers, turning round and addressing Nicholas, who, as he had caused him to smart pretty soundly on a former occasion, purposely abstained from taking any part in the discussion. "'See if I ain't down upon you before long. You'll go a-kidnapping of boys, will you? Take care their fathers don't turn up. Mark that. Take care their fathers don't turn up, and send them back to me to do as I like with, in spite of you.' "'I am not afraid of that.' replied Nicholas, shrugging his shoulders contemptuously, and turning away. "'Ain't you?' retorted Squeers, with a diabolical look. "'Now, then, come along.' "'I leave such society with my pa for heaven,' said Miss Squeers, looking contemptuously and loftily around. "'I am defiled by breathing the air with such creatures.' "'Poor Mr. Brodie! <laughs> I do pity him, that I do! He's so deluded! <laughs> Artful and designing Tilda!' With this sudden relapse into the sternest and most majestic wrath, Miss Squeers swept from the room, and, having sustained her dignity until the last possible moment, was heard to sob and scream and struggle in the passage. John Brodie remained standing behind the table, looking from his wife to Nicholas, and back again, with his mouth wide open, until his hand accidentally fell upon the tankard of ale, when he took it up, and having obscured his features therewith for some time, drew a long breath, handed it over to Nicholas, and rang the bell. "'Here, waiter,' 
said John briskly. "'Look alive here. Tack these things awhile, and let's have summat broiled for supper. Very comfortable and plenty of it, at ten o'clock. Bring some brandy and some wather, and a pair of slippers, the largest pair in the house, and be quick about it. Dash my wig!' said John, rubbing his hands. "'There's no gangin' out to neat, no, to fetch anybody whom, and a cod will begin to spend the evening in earnest.' End of chapter 42